I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. A recent memoir gives the reader insight into getting diagnosed with autism and the journey that a child would go through to high school, college, and the workforce. The book is called Uncommon Sense, An Autistic Journey, and its author Adam Mardero joins me now. I'll ask him about uh, life on the autism spectrum and about terms that are antiquated uh, or that have evolved. For example, it's not a disorder, and there are degrees on the spectrum, and most people are neurodivergent. Mr. Mardero's book is insightful about the challenges he's encountered as well Uh, He's often amusing as he narrates his life story thus far. There's a lot of hope and a lot of care, as well as a call for more that society could do. Adam Mardero was diagnosed with Asperger's at the age of nine. This uh, book is published by Latitude46. Visit Adam's Instagram at instagram.com slash adammurdy123. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program Adam Mardero. Mr. Mardero, good morning. Hi, how's it going? Pretty good yourself. I um, it, it was telling you just before we started how much I enjoyed the book. Um, the the, uh, the in terms of terminology, let's begin there. Um, Asperger's is that is that no longer a diagnostic label? Is that right? That's right. So do I have a minute to explain that? Yeah. Okay. So basically, the way it works is in the '90s when I was diagnosed, Asperger's was considered one of many categories on the autism spectrum which is why that's what I was given. However, now, as of the DSM-5, it's the new edition of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, uh-huh. which came out in 2013, they changed it to Autism Spectrum Disorder, which is, uh, which is kind of an umbrella term that encompasses all of the old diagnoses. So medically, that's why it was changed. And there's also, in the autistic community ourselves, there's a lot of dislike towards the term Asperger's because it has some connotations towards classifying people as better and worse and all that kind of stuff, whereas it's, it, it was, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's an obsolete term now. Yeah, yeah. And there are some people, though, that, that object to the word disorder. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. You know what? I should catch myself. I'm one of them as well. I prefer syndrome or condition or neurotype. That's, that's the one I prefer the most, actually. I see. And um, when you were diagnosed, you mentioned that it was in the 1990s, um, were you diagnosed with ADHD as well? No, no. So I got in what, which would now be autism spectrum disorder, like I said, uh-huh. in '94 uh, or '90. Well, I was, I was, but at the time there was some debate between the, di- the doctor who originally diagnosed me and the therapist lead. I went to see whether it was Asperger's or what was then called ADHD, mm-hmm. but we kept it as Asperger's. So in the years since, I've actually sought out. I see. So in your own lifetime, um, our, our understanding of autism, it has been raised, hasn't it? Uh, do you think acceptance in, in the, in the uh, wider culture, the wider society, do you think that's increased as well? I think that's a complicated answer because, yes, we have had massive improvements in our understanding of autism in even like the 33 years I've been alive. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the more acceptance we have, the more understanding we have, the more misinformation there is as well. Like There's still mm. a lot of cliche, stereotypical presentations of autism in the media and very well one-dimensional representations and a lot of misunderstanding of autistic people because a lot of times 
clinicians are consulted and, and parents are consulted and textbooks are consulted, but people don't actually talk to autistic people ourselves as much as they probably should. Right, right. I was going to ask you about what the challenges are still, and, and, and as I'm reading the book, I can see why. Um, that probably is a reason why you wrote the book, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, when I first wanted to write Uncommon Sense, I was finishing my master's degree and wanted to write something. And I was starting to, and that, throughout that last two or three years of school, I started to kind of embrace that side of myself. But when I went to chapters in other local bookstores, I didn't see any books that represented my story or my way of being. I saw, again, clinical literature, books towards parents, books, you know, a lot of books that promote the whole tragedy narrative around autism, like, oh, your child is uh-huh. never going to be able to do this, this, and this. And I thought to myself, you know, someone needs to write a story from the perspective of someone who's lived this. Yeah, yeah, and then you, you've done it uh, quite well. Um, it's, it's such an engaging book uh, uh, at that. Uh, you, you talk about what uh, home life was like growing up. Um, oh. So when you were diagnosed, you said 1994 a moment ago. Um, 97, actually. 97, pardon me. Um, how, um, how was it like at home? Did, did people notice something, or did you notice something even? Um, that, that it would have compelled people to take you to get tested even? So what it was, was, I touched on this a little bit in my book, how, like, there was a divorce situation with my parents going mm-hmm. off, that kind of thing. But so there was also a lot of argumentativeness and anger and stuff on my part. And a lot of my family was just like, no, he's just being a kid going through a rough situation. But sure. my stepmom actually is the one who said, no, I think you should probably get Adam checked out just in case. Bless her heart, I'm really grateful she did that because that led us to, you know, get the diagnosis and all that stuff. The thing of it is, though, is that at home, after the diagnosis happened, we didn't really talk much about Asperger's, except, you know, except every now and then. Like, my parents did the best thing they could, which is basically just let me be a kid and figure out my own strengths and weaknesses and not, like, presume incompetence and stuff like that because of the diagnosis, and I'm super grateful that they did that. Yeah. But we also didn't talk much about it either way. So on some level, I think I just internalized that idea of, well, this is a dirty thing that I shouldn't talk about about myself, just because, you know, when you don't, when something's not, like, casually mentioned constantly in, like, an accepted way, because it's uh-huh. not mentioned at all, you, you know, you come to that conclusion yourself. Yeah, yeah. And, and so, um, w- once diagnosed, mm-hmm. um, how did your life change? I mean, I wasn't really aware of any changes on my part mm-hmm. because I mean as a kid you're not really reflecting all yeah, <laughs> exactly yeah stuff. yeah I will say I'm pretty I'm, you know like I'm fairly certain my parents paid a lot more attention to my mental health and my uh, and, and that kind of thing I know on my mom's part she uh, because she'd been through a lot of mental health stuff herself she mm-hmm. made a point of teaching how to feel my feelings and express my feelings and not hold my feelings in which was one of the big things a lot of autistic people and ADHD people and neurodivergent people in general struggle with is emotional regulation. Mm. So that's something that I got from my mom. She taught me how to do that, you know, and not hold things in and talk to her and get cool down and all that stuff. And it was really helpful. And it may or may not have been intentionally because of the diagnosis, but it definitely helped me learn something I needed to know to, you know, to be, reach my best self type thing. And even as you, even after you were diagnosed, I should say, um, you were um, hesitant at accepting some of some aspects of it. Like in one part of the book, you talk about 
Uh, I guess a, a, someone at school, a teacher, comes up to you and says, because of um, your educational plan, I, I don't know what it's called yeah. in, in Ontario, um, right. you could, um, you were uh, able to, to write an exam on your own and have extra time, and, but you were even um, uh, resistant to that, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> there was an entire period of my life he had suggested to me that I was anything other than normal, I might have been really, really, really pissed off at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I just, I wanted to be, well, I think it comes back to that whole ableism in society mm. because when all the messages you're getting about from society, whether you realize you're getting them or not, are things like, oh, disabled people are a tragedy, oh, this, you know, like, you don't, like, when you're not consciously thinking about things within you and, and in society, you think, oh, I don't want to be like that, I don't want to be normal like everyone else, you know, so I took the effect you would ask because I thought, well, no, I'm fine. I don't need help. I'm okay. I can do this. Yeah. But, of course, <laughs> the reality of taking grade 11 math put, made me realize, no, Adam, no, you need help. It's fine. Yeah, that's, a, that's a, one of the more interesting things in the book that I, that I found is, is you, you contend with the internalized ableism. Um, yes, very and, much so. And that's something that, that um, that's not that reflective of you as much as um, society itself and our culture and, and, and how we talk to one another. I think that's something that needs to be uh, oh, looked at by everybody, really. Because, I mean, when you think about how a lot of, and bless people's hearts who try to advocate for autism advocacy uh-huh. and, uh, from the parent inclusion perspective. I think a lot of parent inclusion are doing wonderful work trying to advocate for the best of them best interest of autistic people, that kind of thing. But when you're framing it as a medical disorder, a disability, not a disability disorder, but a medical condition, a medical problem, something yeah. that's you know, it's very, people frame it this way and take comfort in, in the thought that it's just something we can fix about our kids. But think about the way the kids themselves are thinking when they're hearing all this stuff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And when they're going through therapies that are trying to make them act like everyone else, then all these things, it's just, if you internalize this feeling that you're only not broken if you're acting like everyone else, that your true self is somehow not acceptable. Yeah. And so the, the, the um, other part, you know, most of the book, you mentioned that you're, you're 33, um, most of the book contends with or deals with, I should say, uh, you growing up. And growing up is tough for everybody, especially in those school mm-hmm. years. Um, for you, it was especially challenging, and, and uh, one aspect of that that you talk about that I found quite uh, informative um, was making friends and, and finding out um, who are good friends around you, um, yeah. dealing with trust. Um, you, you have to learn that on your own, really, don't you? Well, and it's one of those things where, like, <clears throat> there's a stereotype that autistic people can't make friends or struggle making friends, and I shouldn't say that it's not wrong. There is a struggle there because perceiving social cues is a struggle sometimes, right? And, like, my one of my friends has described it as Adam can detect big feelings but not subtle feelings. Mm. And that is definitely a thing that I struggle with sometimes. So sometimes detecting the nuance of the situation is what becomes complicated. But the other thing, too, is I've noticed that a lot of the people who I have gotten close to in my life have either at some point in their life been diagnosed as neurodivergent themselves or suspected about themselves and are working on that process. So... We tend to find our own. Yeah. And and so um, when you find good friends to have around you, um, yeah. it, it, it's marvelous to read in the book um, just how, you, when you find these connections, how, how 
much better life is, and that doesn't just apply to you. It applies to everybody, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, I mean, like, finding people who really understand you is such an empowering and important thing. I'm not saying that to say, like, your life is not valid if you haven't found people who can connect with. Because, no, I mean, I, yeah. your life is valid because it's your life regardless. Exactly. But it has been something that I've appreciated. And a lot of the people in my life that I consider my chosen family, like my found family, that mm-hmm. kind of are that way because they understand me in a way that some of the people don't. Did you find um, where you went to school there in Ontario? I mean, it's very, it's it's di- different in each province, obviously, um, in this country. Um, did you find that that your experience with the school system itself was good? Did you feel supported? Well, this goes back to the whole ableism thing, internalized ableism thing, because again, I would never really have admitted I was struggling a lot of the time too. So that was gotten in my way of asking for. But I will say, I did feel supported in my in my case. But the thing is, is important to remember I my my strength was education because I was in like a grid it was a, it was a structured thing like this is an assignment worth this amount blah 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 mm-hmm. where a lot of like a lot of times that's not the case for every autistic person a lot of times it comes down to if you're not interested in something you have a hell of a time motivating yourself to do something mm-hmm. and I started when I look back on it I struggled more in university and in the workforce than I did in grade school and high school because in the in the public school system it's very regimented. This is these are your classes. This is what's expected. This is what your grade is based on this. In university, I found it was a lot more guesswork and struggle because this professor expects this at this grade level, and this professor expects this instead, and, and it just becomes a bit of a mess in that way. Mm. It's to say nothing of the fact that I struggled with doing readings and homework and all. Well, homework all throughout school, but yeah, especially yeah. university readings that I wasn't interested in doing. I thought everyone struggled as much as I did, but then I realized, oh no, I'm I'm just having Um, so I think it depends on the grade and the school level, too. Right, yeah. Yeah, because there was when you graduated, um, before you go to Kingston, um, yes. you were you were happy to get out of that school. Um, well, I, I'm going to come and say, well, academically, I didn't always struggle as uh-huh. much. Yeah. I do think we need to do more to support autistic and neurodivergent people, because that's not true for everyone. Yeah, and yeah. there's a lot of ways in our system that just tailored towards the majority and not the individuals. To say nothing about mental health, because, yeah, I didn't feel supported emotionally at, at all at that school. <laughs> like, that, was, yeah. that was a really rough period of my life. It just felt like no one, the zero tolerance for bullying policies actually end up not doing their job and actually causing more drama for the bullies than, mm. than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, you, at the end of that chapter, you just say you, you, you uh, survived. And, yep. and that's not, you know, I mean, that's the experience of a lot of people um, in school, but it shouldn't be, right? No. We need to do far more than we do to support neurodivergent people and, and people in general in our school system that we do. A lot of times, teachers, well, I mean, the problem is to funding. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, there's not a lot of funding that goes into schools because what there should be. The class sizes are too big. A lot of times, teachers can't give the attention to one-on-one that students need, and then kids fall through the cracks. Um, the the the, um, the 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 book's cover is uh, I don't even know what that is, but that, that's a, a probably from a video game I would assume. Um, you you talk. There is a story. Sorry. There is a bit of a story to that. Cover. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm not much older than you. I'm 39. Um, okay. But I, I I avoided Star Trek, Star Wars, superhero science fiction, and all that. 
So when you yeah. talk about that in the book, you lose me a little bit. But oh, but but what's what's fascinating when I read you uh, frame uh, stories of, of your life in that context is that you're able to gain a perspective that you otherwise would not have gotten, and um, you're seeing your your own life, if you will, from afar, aren't you? In some ways, yeah. Like I've always I've always interpreted my life through fiction and media and, I mean, and things I'm interested in. Period. Like that's mm-hmm. kind of how I've always interpreted and parsed things I've learned in life, things I've come to my life. Yeah. So I felt like I should really represent that in the book in some way. And, and my and my publisher was actually one who suggested I leave the heart her understanding. And it just came naturally when I did because again, it's kind of how you said how I gain perspective on my life. Yeah. Yeah, and I found I found it at the end quite um, um, quite engaging um, in terms of understanding um, things about how you un- began to understand and accept things in your life, and and, and so in, in that sense, I found that um, quite entertaining, if you will, at the end. Um, well, it, yeah. If I, if I may add one thing, yes. That, the ending. And the cover of the book kind of go hand in hand because the whole the cover of the book is a reference to the end of most Star Wars movies where like Luke or the hero or is looking off into the sunset, having gone on a journey and grown wise to the experience, or facing the journey yet to come, and all that stuff. So I was trying to channel that in both the ending of the book and the cover of the book. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And the book is also quite funny. Um, humor obviously comes naturally to you, doesn't it? Yes, and no. yes, it does, but not always neurotypical style humor. <laughs> like, this is one of those things where there's a stereotype that autistic people are not funny or that don't get jokes. And I think that's <laughs> part, the farthest thing from the truth because yeah. for a lot of us, humor is, like, essential. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I found myself laughing out loud a number of times in, in the book. Um, oh, just a, 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 just a, as I said, an engaging book. Um, you, you, there's a part, chapter in the book where you, you um, are drawn to uh, the cadets. How did you yes. find that experience? That was a interesting experience in my life. I think uh, so. My friend, I now understand. I changed a lot of the names in my book for a private. Sure. Book. Yeah. But my friend, my friend, who's called Brian in the book. His family had been in the cadet program long, uh, longer term, and, he, and his brothers were on it. He was going to go in it. He suggested I join it. And my parents kind of pushed me into it because they thought, well, it might be good to learn some structure and some order yeah. and all that. Sure. Um, in real life, in the modern day, I'm a fairly left-wing, uh, pacifist person, so the thought of being in a military institution looking back is kind of humorous <laughs> to me. Yeah. <laughs> but it actually helped a great deal because mm. I did learn a lot of important skills and self-determination and drive and stuff from Connect. I'm not saying I wouldn't have developed those otherwise or that there weren't other avenues to do that. Yeah. But for me, it did help a great deal with that. But it also burned me out and overwhelmed me constantly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so uh, when you do have to look back at, at uh, various points in your life, uh, yeah. the good times as well as the, the unpleasant times, um, yep. What is that like for you to do as a writer? I mean, do, do you find yourself um, reliving the pain, if you will, as you're writing? Yes. Um, so it's interesting. Uh, reading, like writing the book, there were moments when I was writing something that you know I was invested as a writer writing a scene, and I wrote something, and I looked at what I wrote, and I'm like, is that really true? Did that just? Is that, did that just sound? And I think, oh, like, oh my god, that is true. 
and it would just lead me to like reprocess emotion or discover emotion or perspective on things that I hadn't either seen in 20 years or ever really thought about. And the whole process led to me kind of rethinking and reevaluating and kind of reinterpreting my life in ways that I wouldn't have had I not written a memoir. So mm. it's been a very powerful and therapeutic and cathartic experience in a lot of ways. But yes, definitely reliving the good and the bad. A lot of times it felt like I was traveling through time. Yeah. Yeah, there's a the moment in the book where you, you talk about um, the idea of suicide as it crosses your mind at one point in your life. Um, yeah. And uh, I, f- I found it quite beautiful when you talk about what um, stopped you from even thinking about it. So, and it's one of the things I've come to learn more as an adult about the nuances of that. There's, like, passing suicidal thoughts, then there's more intense suicidal ideation, and there's actually suicide. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I never got past the, the minimum stage because, like I, like I said in the book, I had those supports, and I have people who love me, and, you know, that kind of thing. But to say that the thoughts never passed through my mind would be a lie, because when you're going through that kind of experience, you feel alone at least at school, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, love does love does save lives. I will stand by that. Yeah, that's a beautiful a, a beautiful uh, part of the book, um, and and the sentiment that I think we need to remember, especially when it's when it's uh, tough to remember during the bad times, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, what what have um, uh, various family relations. So what have they thought about the book? So that's actually the part that I was most anxious about, but it's been the part that's been most rewarding. Mm. So I've been really nervous about how some family members would feel, only because, I mean, I did my utmost to write respectfully and to write Yeah, kindly, I thought so, yeah. You know, to, and I'm told that comes across. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, I mean, I was still worried because, I mean, I'm writing about personal stuff in our family history. And also, in some ways, I'm revealing stuff in my book that I've never told my parents. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Stuff like that. But it was interesting. A lot of family members came up to me and told me how amazing it was, how they were sorry that things happened when they did, how, how strong I was, how gra- proud of me they are. I've gotten nothing but positive and heartfelt comments back about it. So in, in, in some ways, it's actually helped move things forward. So I'm, it's been a good experience on that front, too, but it was a nerve-wracking one. I'll bet, yeah. But what you know what's to admire about you and, and the publication of this book, Adam? is that you have uh, written the book that you wish you had growing up. And, and I can't, imagine, can't begin to imagine um, what that's like for parents in the future, uh, young people in the future even, who will find this book and find a story here that they can uh, relate to or that will, they'll even find helpful. That's what I'm really hoping, because... I want parents to realize that a diagnosis of autism is not a death sentence. In fact, it's just, a, it's just being handed a, a, an instruction manual for a different kind of human brain. Mm. And there's nothing wrong with being autistic. And I want them to realize that far from uh, being a disorder or something terrible, it can actually kind of be something wonderful. And I want the kids who've gone through this, who are, who are growing up now, to realize that they're okay exactly how they are. Well, you, you've done a marvelous job uh, w- with the writing of this book, and, and uh, I wish you well, and, and uh, uh, congratulations on the book, and continued good luck with it. Thanks for your time today, Adam. Yeah, no problem. Thanks a lot, Joe. The book is called Uncommon Sense, An Autistic Journey. It's uh, published by Latitude 46. Its author, Adam Mardero, joined me on the line from Sudbury, Ontario, in Vancouver, 
I'm Joseph Plato.